Let's open the Scriptures together to the Gospel of John. John chapter 14, which connects with our text in James chapter 1, where James writes about doing the Word, the Word of the Lord, the Word of God. And the Lord Jesus in John 14 says something similar. So that'll help us to understand James. So John 14 in your pew Bible, page 1146. 1146. We'll read the verses 15 through 24. The Lord says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So far the reading of Scripture. Let's sing about the Word, as we have that in Psalm 119, about the beauty of the Word and the desirability of the Word of God. We'll sing the stanzas 16, 17, and 18. Let's turn now to the letter of James and continue our series of sermons on that letter. James chapter 1, verse 22, in the Pew Bible, page 1289. 1289. So at verse 22, James gives this exhortation, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. 
If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's our text this morning. In response, we'll sing uh, Psalm 112, which is a psalm of describing someone who is a doer of the word, the righteous man, and we can also understand the righteous woman who takes up as a habit the doing of God's word. Psalm 112, the stanzas 1, 3, and 4. Well, congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we've been noticing along the way in this series of sermons, James is a very skilled writer. And he carefully weaves his themes. He's got a few different themes as he goes along, and he he unfolds his message, we've noticed, with great care and precision. And in the lead-up to our text, James has been unfolding the topic of the Word of God. That's been his theme since verse 18. In verse 18, he tells us that God planted the Word of truth in our hearts, like you might plant a seed in the soil, and from that Word of truth, he caused us to be born again. He caused us to be regenerated and become believers, as James says, the first fruits of his new creation. So verse 18 is a description of the beginning of the Christian life. Then in verse 19, James commands us to be quick to hear. Hear what? Hear the Word, the Word of God. In verse 20, he adds that we have to receive the implanted Word which is able to save our souls. That is a description of the development of the Christian life. So, so far we've seen that once God's Word has been planted in us and we are made spiritually alive through faith in Christ, we have a responsibility to go to work with that Word. We are called to mature in faith. To do that, we are to slow down in the the giving out of our opinions. We have to be slow to speak. We aren't to dish out human wisdom, but we instead are to let God's wisdom, God's Word, fill us by soaking it up and letting God's Word shape us and change us into those new creatures James talks about in verse 18. Letting the Word, you could say, change us into acting and behaving as the sons and daughters of God, the Father that He has made us to be. So James has been dealing with this topic, the Word of God. He's been leading up to something, and here comes the the famous command most of us will be quite familiar with, verse 22, but be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
He's already stressed earlier that we must be hearers of the word. We have to be quick to hear, James has said. But now he gives a warning. Don't be hearers only. Well, that raises a question, doesn't it? What does it mean to be a hearer only? After all, I don't want to deceive myself, as James writes here in verse eight, uh, 22. So how do I know if I'm not deceiving myself? I listen to sermons every Sunday. I listen to Bible reading at breakfast and supper and devotions in school. I even read the Bible myself in personal devotions. How can I be certain that I'm not just a hearer only? And then, what does it mean to be a doer of the Word? Like, what does that look like? This is a very important matter, says James, the difference between receiving God's blessing versus receiving God's curse. So, how can I tell if I really am a doer of the Word? Well, we hope to find out answers to these questions together as I bring you this Word of the Lord, be doers of the Word, and not hearers only. That's our theme. We'll take a look at two things, the marks of hearers only, and secondly, the marks of doers. The marks of hearers only, and then the marks of doers. Well, all of us gathered here today, or listening in from home, are hearers of the Word. Certainly on Sundays, the question that James puts to us is, does that word go in one ear and out the other? Are we only hearing or are we putting the word into practice? James will give us three examples or three marks of doers in verses 26 through 27, but first he gives us two marks of those who are simply or merely hearers. The first mark comes out in the analogy that James uses in verses 23 to 25 of the man who looks into a mirror. Now, you remember from our last Lord's Supper celebration that in Bible times, mirrors were not like what we know today. They were not the highly polished glass that we have, that you have in your bathrooms or your, your hallway in your home, where when you glance in the mirror, you can see a very accurate reflection of yourself. Quite, quite easily. Well, the mirrors James knew were more like polished metal, bronze, if you were rich, maybe silver. So it's more like looking into a, a pot, a kitchen pot or a pan, and you get kind of a, you get kind of a reflection, but it, the clarity isn't what we have today. So if you were looking into one of these ancient mirrors, you would really have to spend some time concentrating on what you were doing in order to see an accurate or, or close to accurate reflection of yourself. James describes a man who, who does that. He looks intently into a mirror. He looks at his natural face intently and then goes away and forgets what he sees. That's the first mark forgetfulness. James brings that back again in verse 25. We are not to be a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. So the first thing we have to ask ourselves is, do I forget 
what I've heard? Does this word come into my mind and pass through? Do I let sermons pass through? Do I let Bible reading pass through without making a home for it in my heart? Do I forget the word? Now, some of you might be getting worried because some of us are forgetful by nature. Some of us are getting forgetful as we get older. And you might be thinking, well, I, I really try. I concentrate on the reading of Scripture, but I often end up forgetting what I've read. What then? If I'm not able to recall the sermon by Wednesday, try as I might, am I in deep trouble? Well, no. The Lord is aware of our weaknesses and our infirmities, and he always deals gently with his children. He doesn't ask of us something that we are not able to do. No, the kind of forgetfulness James is talking about is not related to old age or a poor memory, but it's a refusal to remember. In other words, it's an intentional forgetfulness, a willful dismissing it from the mind, like when you tell yourself, for example, I don't care what this, for example, politician might say, I'm simply not going to believe or follow what he says, so you make up your mind to forget all that you've heard him say as soon as you can. We can do that with humans. We can also do that with the Lord. Israel did this many times throughout her history in the Old Testament, consciously setting aside God and His Word so that God had to send prophets to reprimand His people. For example, Jeremiah in chapter 2 says this, Can a virgin forget her ornaments? Or a bride forget her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me. My people have forgotten me. Days without number, says the Lord. You know what happens when you forget God? You, you forget His Word. This goes into the back of your mind. It flees out of your mind. You're not paying any serious attention to the Word. So that's what James is, is on about here. That's what he's getting after. A refusal to lay your life beneath God's authority and to do what the Lord says. That's the point of the, the basic point of the mirror analogy. And at first, this mirror analogy might not be so clear as to what James is, is trying to say. What, what's he comparing exactly? For instance, you read that he, he compares a mere hearer of the word to one who looks into a mirror. That's a bit unusual because you've got the sense of hearing compared in some way to the sense of seeing. That's not that obvious to us, hearing and seeing. And then in verse 25, he makes the connection to looking into what he calls the perfect law. The law of liberty, says James. Hearing this the, the word is like spiritually looking into the mirror of God's law, and that raises other questions right away. What law is James talking about? 
He hasn't mentioned the law so far. Why does he mention the law now for the first time? Well, when you read it in context, it's very clear that whatever James means by the law, it is identical with what he describes as the Word of God. That's what James has been talking about since verse 18, and that's exactly how he starts the mirror analogy in verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, so he starts with that analogy, describing it as the Word, and he ends describing it as the law. The Word of God is the law. It's the same thing. And James used another expression in verse 18, the Word of truth. So he's using synonyms. The Word of truth planted in the hearts of God's people is the Word of God, and it's also the law. And do you know where that expression, Word of truth, comes from, it was first used in Psalm 119, which we sang together. Verse 43, And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever. And then the poet writes, and I quote from the Book of Praise, Then shall I walk in liberty, O Lord. All those ideas in Psalm 119 are taken over by James. The psalmist already identified the law with the word of truth. And I want to just pause over that for a minute because I think that that's not so well understood among us. We think of law, we tend to think of law as commandments, rules, statutes. And it's true, that's the law encompasses all of those things, but the law has more to it. The word for law in the Old Testament is the word Torah. And when you investigate what Torah is, you discover that Torah is instruction. It's instruction that comes in many forms, not just in the form of commandments. The five books of Moses are called the Torah. Maybe you've heard that before. And if you look at the five books of Moses, there's more than just commandments in them, aren't there? What you have in the five books of Moses are stories, lots of them, about the patriarchs, the account of the creation, the account of the flood. You later on have a, a series of laws and commandments, but you also have just instruction. You have uh, stories that reveal God's character and His salvation. And you also have many promises of the Lord. So, Torah, or law, includes all of these things. And when James uses it as a word for, a synonym for the word planted in us, then he's speaking about all of the instruction given through Moses as it was fulfilled in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. You remember how Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that he came to fulfill what? He came to fulfill the law, the Torah. He came to fulfill, yes, all the commandments, 
but also all the instruction, all the stories, all the promises of salvation, all the ceremonies which pointed forward to a Messiah who would come to save his people. Jesus fulfilled all of that. He is the Messiah. So the law, the Torah, was good news already in the Old Testament. That's why Psalm 119 just celebrates the Torah over and over again. It was good news already then, but after Jesus has arrived, the law or the Torah becomes better. It's fulfilled in Christ. It's truly now the law of liberty. Salvation has arrived in Jesus. It's ours by faith alone. That is the, the gospel. That's the word of truth that's been sown into our hearts. And that word of truth brings us alive, makes us born again. And that's the word of truth we are called to hear and obey in order to stay in the free life. That's why James calls it the law of liberty, same as Psalm 119. It's, it's called the law of liberty because when you live according to God's commandments, you won't fall back into the clutches of sin. You remain free. The law doesn't make you free. Jesus does that. But the law keeps you free if you keep it. And if you do that in the power of the Holy Spirit of Christ. So that's, that's all packed into that word law or the law of liberty. And it's because James wants to stress now the doing of the word of God that he chooses to call it the law. Because law emphasizes that aspect. The gospel absolutely holds out salvation by faith alone, in Christ alone, but it always comes with a calling, doesn't it? A calling to actively follow Jesus. What does that mean? Jesus said, it means deny your will and come after me. That's what Jesus is talking about in our reading of John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Love in the Scriptures is never just some fuzzy emotion. Of course, it includes emotion. But it's not just articulating a feeling. That's not love. That's certainly not completely. Love is out of whatever feeling you have for God, that, that affection you have for God. It's doing the will of the Lord. It's obeying the commands of God. Jesus also said in John 14, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. If you love me, says Jesus, you'll be loved by my Father. He's describing the, the gracious character of the way of freedom. This is the second mark of hearers only, and it goes hand in hand with the first. Not, they not only turn their back on God and forget what he says, but such people have no interest, no desire to obey the Lord. Simply put, they're not doers of the word. This is a warning that applies to to every believer, but perhaps especially to believers who grow up in the church like most of us. 
the people that James has in mind somehow think that hearing the Word of God is enough. That's all they, that's all they need to do, just be hearing it. And this is where we can deceive ourselves, as James says in verse 22. We can trick ourselves. So we can start thinking things like, well, I'm in church every Sunday. I, I read the Bible regularly at home. What's the issue? The issue, says James, is, is it your intention to do what the Bible says? Are you making efforts in the strength of the Spirit of God to change your natural sinful ways of doing things into the way that God wants you to do things? To not do that is as crazy as looking at your dirty face in the mirror and going away without doing anything about it. That's really what James is driving at in that mirror analogy. People have wondered exactly what he's getting at. He talks about leaving and immediately forgetting what you were like. So is James just describing here a thoughtless looking, a glance, and then a person forgets his face, kind of like we might glance at the Bible and then just forget about it? Well, that doesn't seem to be James's point because he, just, he talks about a person who's looking intently into the mirror at his natural face. And I think what James is driving at is, is not stated explicitly, but it's implied. Because James knew, and his readers would have known, that a mirror serves a purpose. It shows you where there's dirt on your face, dirt that needs washing off, or hair that needs trimming or combing, or, or a beard that needs shaving. That, that mirror served a function. Just like it does for us, like when you wake up in the morning and head to the bathroom to get ready for the day, you don't leave that mirror, do you? Until things are just right with your complexion, the way that you want it. That's why, our, that's why you're always late for the bus, right? You, you, your mom has to yell at you because you're still in front of that mirror and you're, you're checking everything. You want to take care of your bedhead. You want to wash the sleep out of your eyes. You, you maybe put some makeup on. Or if you're a, a man, you're trimming your, your mustache or beard. Whatever the case, you, what you see in the mirror causes you to take action. You will do that naturally. That's normal. Otherwise, you'd go to school or to work looking rough and haggard, and people would say, hey, what happened to you? Look what the cat dragged in. Well, says James, to look into God's law as a spiritual mirror and compare what God's Word says to how you're living your life, thoughts, words, and deeds, and doing that will always show spiritual dirt and sin on us somewhere in our life, many places usually, and the need to, to, to wash that sin out, to make changes, to make adjustments, to look into that spiritual mirror, see all that, and then not do anything about your lifestyle. Not make any of those changes, not make any of the adjustments, says James. That is just as useless, just as foolish as looking at your messed up hair, your sleepy eyes, your dirty face in the mirror, and then going away not doing anything about it. 
A physical mirror exists to help us clean up our appearance and look respectable. Well, the spiritual mirror of God's law exists to help us clean up our spiritual appearance and to look more and more like sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. We have to look into the mirror and then we have to act to adjust our life to what it should be. That's why the Lord calls us to be quick to hear, careful to listen to His Word, so that we can become eager and faithful doers of His Word. That's what James gets at in verses 26 through 27. In fact, these two verses bring to a a climax all of the chapter. All of chapter 1, and it, it sets the program, you could say, for the rest of James's letter. These themes will come back all throughout the next chapters. He, he talks here about doing, about certain doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. He's picking up on what he had said in verse 22 about deceiving oneself by being a hearer only, and earlier uh, referring to those who are quick to speak. James is saying, you can think you are religious, you can think you are okay with the Lord, but if you are a hearer of the Word, but not a doer of the Word, you're only fooling yourself. Wake up, man, says James. Identify yourself truly as one who does the Word. Then you have confidence that's genuine. So James gives three marks of the doer. Controlling the tongue, caring for the orphan and the widow, and keeping oneself unstained from the world. Now those seem very, very specific, and they they are in a certain way, but we should understand that James is not saying that these are the only three things that Christians must be busy with. What he does with these three is he gives examples, even broad examples, of areas of life which Christians in his day were struggling with, and it's no different in our day. For example, do you find it easy to bridle your tongue? You know, you put a a bridle on a horse to control the behavior of the horse. So James is using that image to say, can you control your tongue? How does that work for you? controlling what you say so that it completely agrees with the Word of God at all times. How how easy do we find that? This, This example also connects with what James wrote earlier in the chapter about seeking wisdom from above. When you seek wisdom from God, then it comes, that wisdom comes out of the Word of God into our hearts. So it's another roundabout way of talking about having the Word inform our lives and direct our tongues. James is speaking here about doing the Word of God. And if you think of our, the gift of speech, we use that gift with respect to both God and our fellow man. Scripture says, 
For example, we are to use our tongues to praise the Lord. We're also to use our tongues to instruct our children in the way of the Lord and to use our tongues to exhort and encourage and comfort one another in the Christian life. Are you, am I, are we doing that? Are we using the Word of God to bless those around us with encouraging words or instructing our children? It's easy to come up with our own ideas and to parent our children according to our own wisdom or to mere human concepts. I mean, the, you can pick up so many programs and podcasts on psychology and on how to raise your kids, and you can do it that way exclusively and not ever listen to what God says about raising our kids. We can pass on mere human ideas to our neighbors when we talk with them. But the Lord says, be quick to hear my word. Be careful to pass on my ideas and my wisdom. That's what I want for you, and that is the best for you. We are to speak. It's not that we have to keep silent. James doesn't say that, but we are to speak with care, and we are to speak according to the word. What about when it comes to speaking about our neighbor? When Scripture says things like, don't slander your neighbor, that's why I read the Ninth Commandment this morning, and that's a topic that James takes very seriously and brings up again in chapter 3. Don't speak ill of your neighbor, says the Scripture. Do we take that seriously and really try to control how we talk about others? To slander is to speak lies about someone else. If you speak lies about someone and don't repent, says James, then your so-called religion is totally useless. You're deceiving yourself, and there's no blessing for you but only God's curse. The same can be said of gossip. Gossip is to say things about another person even though they might be true, but you say them with the intention to put the other person down, make them look bad. Gossip. If that's a habit you've got, brothers and sisters, you need to repent today. You need to become a doer of God's law, which means loving your neighbor and protecting his reputation. That's what we heard from the Catechism, Lord's Day 43. Protect and build up and honor your neighbor even if you don't like him. The Bible doesn't say, look, if you don't care for your neighbor, you go ahead and uh, run him down. No. You build him up. Even the more so if he's an enemy of yours. That's about the tongue. Then James gives us a second mark of a doer of God's law. Verse 27, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Well, you can see that that connects back to the trials that James earlier spoke about. The, the trials is when somebody is in a situation of affliction, a situation of suffering. 
And like with the tongue, James has in mind here a whole category of behavior, namely caring for those who are in need in a general way, who are in trouble, who are in a trial, who are in suffering. And when he says visit them, he's saying a whole lot more than drop in for a cup of coffee. That might be part of it, but the, 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 the verb in scriptures means to go to that person and to attend to his or her needs. That's a, a visitation in a positive sense. Often in the Old Testament, the Lord is said to visit Israel in her affliction. Like in the book of Exodus, God saw what they were suffering and he visited Israel and rescued them from Egyptian slavery. James writes about orphans and widows. Why, why mention them? Well, all through Scripture, widows and orphans are singled out for mention because they were the most visible and often the most helpless among those in great need. If anybody was in distress in the community, it was a widow or an orphan, or both. Just think of it. Children without parents will suffer greatly, even in our day. They might even die unless new caregivers step in. Well, it was even more dramatic in the Old Testament times or New Testament times. There wasn't the, the social security blanket that we have in our day. And a wife in Bible times who loses who lost her husband, she wasn't just lonely and distraught like any wife of any time period would be. But she often would become poor and destitute because she had very little means of providing an income. She couldn't just go out and get a job. So James is saying that a true believer sees the suffering among God's people even beyond the family of God, and he gives help that's needed. It starts in the church, expands outward toward the community. So how about it, brothers and sisters? Do you take notice of people in need, and do you do something about it? And there's all kinds of need. Earlier in the chapter, James wrote about trials of various kinds. So there's not one particular trial that he has in mind here. In our day and place, it may not be so much financial need, need that we run into, but things like loss, sorrow, loneliness are great afflictions for some. In Ancaster Church, we have those who have lost a spouse. We have children with only one parent. Do we think about these brothers and sisters? Do we reach out with some form of help? We have single members. We have hurting members. We have troubled members. Friendship, companionship, taking time to spend with them being an influence, possibly being a mentor, that can be a huge blessing. It could make all the difference in a person's life. Do we think, how could I bless, how could I help someone in a situation like that? All of these situations I just mentioned, they're multiplied 
a number of times over in downtown at Streetlight Ministries, which our church oversees. They're also there in the neighborhood across the street, in your neighborhood, wherever you might live, or among your co-workers. Are we looking? Do we see? Are we helping? To pray for those in need is excellent. But to really be doers of the word, we must go further and exercise the love of Christ toward those in need, exercising it with care and compassion. And then James gives a third mark of doers. He says, we are to keep ourselves unstained from the world. And if you go back to verses 13 to 15, you can see James making a connection to being tempted by sin. And uh, the temptation leads to, into transgression. The evil desires of our flesh tempt us. James says a doer of the word keeps him or herself unstained from the world. Well, you all know what a stain is. The kids maybe know, and the mums know really well. It's dirt on your shirt. It's a, a mess that you've spilled on your pants. And then you have to throw that in the wash, and you have to get it cleaned. Well, says James, we have to avoid getting messy and getting stained by the world. What does he mean by the world? Well, that means the unbelieving, non-Christian people that we live among. And we have to find, get this right too, and find the balance here. Because on the one hand, the Lord Jesus calls us to be a light and a salt among unbelievers in our community and workplace. So he also calls us to help the afflicted. So we have to be there. We have to be involved with unbelievers to some extent. There has to be contact and interaction, but... On the other side of that balancing act, we must not let their lifestyle rub off on us. We must not let their sinful ways become our sinful ways. And that's not always so easy, is it, to, to strike the balance. For example, when your co-workers invite you to a party Friday night, and you're not so sure what's happening at that party, you have your ideas, but you're not so sure. What do you do? How do you respond to an invitation? If you decide to go to that party and find out after being there a while that some people are getting tipsy and on their way to being full-out drunk, others are smoking marijuana on the back porch, what then do you do? In some cases, it might mean having a conversation. Sometimes it might mean walking away. And sometimes it might mean not even going in the first place. It takes wisdom. But no matter what the Lord God is saying to us in our text, do not participate in their sin. Guard yourself from temptation. Guard yourself from getting pulled into godless behavior, for that is the very opposite of what God wants from us. Verse 20, the production of righteousness. This is the very opposite of living as the first fruits of His creation. So think about your life for a moment, and the influences in your life. Do you have 
worldly influences? Do you have work friends or neighbor friends that draw you towards sin? Then you need to establish boundaries with them. Still interact, but boundaries. Is your computer an internet connection or cell phone in your hand? Is that staining your faith and marking your life with, with behaviors that are shameful in the eyes of the Lord? Behaviors for which our Lord Jesus Christ died. Then you need to get help to break those habits, brothers and sisters. Help us avail. Call your ward elder. Call me. Don't stay in your sin. Be a doer of the word who breaks with it. We'll get you help. Call us. Keep yourself unstained from the world. Well, James knows how to pack it in, doesn't he? Lots to think about here. Well, I want you to think about this too. The word of truth has already been planted in your heart. It's already there. And that word is God's word, powerful as powerful can be. It's in you to do you good. It's also, that word is also accompanied by the Spirit of Christ so that as you and I continue to receive the word and endeavor to put it into practice, we will find the power of God at work in us. At work in us. What I want to say, brothers and sisters, is this. You don't have to exercise all these commands that James is writing about. You don't have to do it in your own strength. You can't do it in your own strength. But... The Word of God will do it in you if only you ask Him. And let me finish with this word of encouragement that James writes in verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, so stays with it, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, here it comes, he will be blessed in his doing. He, she, will be blessed in your doing. Be quick to listen then, brothers and sisters. Be quick to obey and know that you will have God's blessing. Amen.